In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Tower of Ivory, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most talks you will hear on abortion they start with some type of story. They try to elicit an emotion uh, and and some response in you either way, whichever way they want you to lean. Uh, And this talk will not do that. I just want to give you some straightforward information and background so you can discuss this topic with someone who might actually support abortion and you can help to change their mind. Consider this armor for you so that you can stand your ground and make other people think about why it is that they say what they say. A problem with talking, uh, or with talking with almost everyone nowadays is that most people cannot see what is essential. They immediately move towards an exception to a rule, you know, the difficult circumstances surrounding an issue, or they ignore what you said so they can just say what they want. We need to be able to see the heart of something, if we're to have a good reference point to begin talking about these topics. Modernism tries to decide what reference point you should use. And if you decide the reference point and what that is, then everything else kind of becomes arbitrary. You know, you can start somewhere and you can, your your reasoning might be okay, but if you start in the wrong place, then everything that follows is going to be incorrect. A lack of God in our culture, this is the other part of this issue, is that a lack of God in our culture creates a vacuum, where if God is not there, he must be replaced by something else. And, you know, people try to replace God with all sorts of things and in all sorts of ways and ideas, uh, but they can never fill that void that's in them. You know, they try to replace his laws, those laws written on the hearts of every single man with their own selfish laws. You know, Gaudium et Spes says, without the creator, creation would disappear. And it's a prophetic statement, not only with IVF, that's in vitro fertilization, but also with abortion. When people lose a sense of who God is and how we're to interact with him and how we're to live our lives, people lose a sense of the sacredness of life and in doing so become inhuman. People who support abortion are making God's creations disappear by killing them. There are immediate, serious consequences, not just in these individual cases, but for society as well. The Jewish notion of sin is that sin is not hidden. Even an individual who sins in secret will bring the rest of the human race and the rest of their community down with them. Communism and socialism try to systematize the manipulation of human life. When man is seen as the measure of man, a more inhuman society forms because man is fallen and will be corrupted by his own sins if he ignores God. You know, God should be the rule uh, that we have to measure life by, and it should be by his guidance that we live our lives. You know, it's God who measures us against the love of the cross. And whereas man measures according to how he can benefit from something. When humans put themselves at the center, they give absolute priority to immediate convenience and everything else becomes relative. 
But we must consider this relativism. We have to understand that there is a common grounding to all moral acts. And so we turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You know, there are three thoughts on the Catechism, uh, or on the moral act, by the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And by moral acts we mean actions where we either choose something for or against God, meaning that whenever we do one or perform one, we will always be moving either closer to God or further away. All three moral acts, or all moral acts have three components, the object, the intention, and the circumstances. First is the object. The object is that to which the action is pointed, the, the good the will deliberately chooses, the matter of the act. So when, we're, when we understand what the matter of the act is, it's kind of what is actually being done. You know, and there are intrinsically evil objects, those actions where the object is grave, and it cannot be directed toward a good end. You know, think of murder or think of euthanasia. There will never be a time where murder, you know, as the killing of an innocent person, is going to be good and permissible. Uh, and the same thing with euthanasia. There's never going to be a time where it's okay to kill an elderly person or, or someone who's just sick in general. The next that the Catechism talks about is the intention. It's the form of the act. You know, it's the first goal that the agent, you know, the actor, the person, wants to do or wants to get in response to the object. So, you know, there are multiple in, uh, intentions that we can have, but they're all ordered towards one act, you know, the, towards that one end. And, you know, everything will sort of fall in line with that act to get to you that one goal that you're looking towards. Order to the end, uh, but remember that the end never justifies the means. Um, uh, and you can see how uh, there are plenty of dictators throughout history who, okay, they had a good idea. They want to provide for their people or expand their land a little bit, um, but, you know, completely wrong means to do that with, you know, uh, genocide and and warring on other innocent nations. Responsibility and merit is when you do something good that is difficult and you gain more merit because, and in your prize of heaven and you're more worthy of it as a reward. Meriting something does not mean it's owed to you, but that you have earned some good from it. So if you, uh, you, know, you have a, a good object, if you have a good intention, if you want the right thing for that object, then you can merit uh, something good from God. You can merit God's grace by, uh, you can merit more grace from God if it's a more difficult action for you to do. You know, so it's kind of like if you, uh, um, you know, opening the door for someone, it's a very small, you know, act of kindness. Um, but if, let's say we live in a society where opening the door for the wrong person could, you know, get you killed, you know, even though it's a nice act to do. Um, then the person who's opening that door for the other person, when there's this danger involved, that's uh, a more, uh, a greater and more honorable act than the other person. So there is an order to all of these. There's a hierarchy, and we should always remember that. Culpability is also something we should talk about. Um, you know, both of the above two, the object and the intention, they can change the, uh, the inside of the agent, the interior of them. Uh, but they can't change what the exterior act looks like. Uh, for instance, you know, an axe thrown at a person is just an axe thrown at a person. Um, but your knowledge will change that act. 
If the person who is throwing the axe thinks he's throwing it at a bear, then it would be for protection, you know, and it's, it could be a good act to preserve his life. If he throws it at what he thinks is a bear, but it's really a man in a bear costume, then he's not guilty of murder. You know, the law still says he's guilty of manslaughter because objectively, you know, someone is killed in that action. Uh, but it's not murder because he didn't intend to end a man's life. The last thing that the Catechism talks about are, are the circumstances which can influence the object. You know, if, uh, if someone steals my notes, you know, it's, it's going to be theft and the theft will be the object of the act. Uh, but the circumstances can add another object on top of that. You know, when someone steals from a church, it's also sacrilege. So there's an, kind of an extra sin there. Um, and, you know, and there can be psychological pressure, uh, can be part of the circumstances because it's outside of the person, it's exterior to them. You know, what other, another pressure that someone is putting on them. Uh, culpability is how guilty someone is. And this can be lessened by their knowledge and the circumstances. You know, so with abortion, uh, a girl might get dragged to the center to get one by her mother, who gives her no choice or even threatens the girl. Uh, both parties are guilty because abortion is intrinsically evil, but the girl is less guilty of the abortion than the mother, who is the one who is applying all that pressure on her daughter. You know, so that's kind of the moral background uh, that we need to discuss abortion, the object, the intention, and the circumstances. Object, what it is, intention, why you're doing it, and circumstances, the things that are, are surrounding it and, and, and could possibly change the act. Um, but with intrinsically evil acts, there is no changing that act. Uh, so here's some uh, information based on the advances of science. So that's kind of the church's uh, first thing. And then we'll go into um, kind of just how you can argue with someone based on what science has taught us and some of the findings in the past several decades. So science says that conception is the beginning of life. You know, it's the joining of a sperm cell and an egg cell to create a new organism. At the moment of conception, a person's nature is determined and his nature will never change. Uh, that's a human nature. So the soul is the perfect explanation of this constancy that will follow a man throughout his life. You know, and also thinking about if you have two humans that are your parents, then the child is also going to be given a human nature from his parents. You know, appearances change, but they are only surface. The DNA that has been coded will always stay the same in that person. You know, it might kind of shorten and get damaged through, you know, like UV radiation or whatever. Um, but, you know, the, the baseline, that person is one continuous person throughout their lifespan. That means that there is no, like, pre-embryo, because the first moment everything uh, at conception, everything is there for the human person that you need. Uh, and the word uh, pre-embryo is not scientific, because you have that continuity that's there. You've already begun something. You've begun a new life. Before modern medical science and the knowledge of what conception really is, we basically just had Aristotle, and his thought prevailed even into the Middle Ages. It's why people like, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas actually got uh, his understanding of um, conception wrong, because, or abortion, because he was thinking that, oh, well, uh, the, this whole thing about ensoulment, right? Uh, he thought that there was a time before conception where there was just sort of genetic material floating around, and then it would eventually kind of get formed and then be able to receive a human soul. And they thought it was about 90 days. 
You know, and this is wrong because of the following principles that happen at conception. And as I said, you know, like the modern technology, we're able to understand uh, what happens here. So ontogenesis, you know, there's a new being that comes into existence at conception. It's a new baby who has its own unique DNA structure, different from both the mother and the father. And to that structure, nothing essentially new is added to the organism. You know, the embryo is not a disorganized cluster of cells. There's a principle of continuity, and there's a principle of growth that guides the child throughout its time in the womb and its time outside continuing to develop. You know, the principle of continuity that the fertilized egg, the unborn baby, grows but does not change what it is. It gets bigger and it becomes more complex, but as it does, it does not develop with anything that is outside of human nature. Uh, You know, there are no sort of hybrids uh, walking around. Uh, The next principle that we have about conception is continuity, that the soul is the principle of the body and what unites it. Whether a person has two arms, one arm, three arms, they remain a person uh, that, that they were from the time of their conception. You know, if a child is aborted, that specific child dies. You know, so parents don't conceive, uh, you know, a David, and then they end up aborting a Jenny uh, when they do the abortion. The identity of that child is constant from the moment of conception. Next is coordination, that there is a direction of development. Along with this is the zygote, or fertilized egg, uh, which has its own metabolism. You know, it has a heartbeat separate from the mother's, and even before that, it has genes that are separate from both moms and dads. Next, there's a gradation that takes place. You know, beginning of life comes from outside uh, the person. You know, the sperm penetrates the egg cell. And so science cannot prove the existence of the soul, and it cannot disprove it either. You know, because the soul is what we say uh, in the Catholic realm that coordinates everything, and that we can't deny that there's a soul there in the body until the person dies. You know, the sperm and the egg cell they exist separately before they're joined. You know, you can give a sperm cell all the nutrients that it needs to survive and be healthy, but at the end of the day, it's just going to remain a sperm cell. And after 120 days, it's gonna complete its life cycle and it's going to die. Uh, If you give an egg cell all the nutrients that it needs, it will remain an egg cell and be ejected by the woman's body when the time comes, uh, not living very long at all. Uh, it takes both the sperm cell and the egg cell uh, to produce, uh, they're produced by a process called meiosis, which creates cells with half a strand of DNA. So both of these cells are made to be joined together. They're made incomplete so that they, they could be completed within each other. Uh, the soul, as a spiritual principle, cannot emerge from matter or from parents. Science cannot solve this riddle because theology says that the soul is created directly by God and infused at the moment of conception. Now getting a little bit into uh, the actual topic of abortion, you know, the definition of the CDC that abortion is an intervention performed by a licensed clinician that is intended to terminate an ongoing pregnancy. You know, this definition is lying by omission. They use the term termination as an end but they do not tell you what kind of end it will be. 
They do not tell you that it is the ending of the child's life. Because we've just gone through all those steps, the ontogenesis, the continuity, the coordination, the gradation. Uh, I mean, we've seen how this child is a a child, that it's not just a cluster of material. Uh, There is new legislation that's unfortunately more aggressive, and it feels like it doesn't need to hide anymore. You know, especially in Massachusetts, that new law that was unfortunately just passed where children can be murdered after a failed abortion. Uh, That is an abortion where the child actually survives. JP2 says that abortion is the deliberate killing of an innocent human being. Uh, One of my professors recommended a different definition. You know, the direct killing of a baby in the mother's womb and the removal of the baby from her womb. You know, the death of the baby is always willed in abortion. Uh, And there's nothing done to try and save it, only to destroy life. Abortion is murder. It's the ending of an innocent human life. And murder is never going to be allowed under any circumstances. Uh, And murder will never accomplish something uh, that is good, you know, especially of an innocent human life. It's different from, uh, you know, sort of like a government that can't contain uh, a prisoner, like he just murders everyone uh, then you would kill that person, you know, if the government couldn't keep others safe around him. Uh, but once again, that's, you know, execution. That's not, uh, that's not murder because this man is not innocent. He's a, um, a, a liability and a threat to all of society. And so, you know, abortion isn't something that's new in the Hippocratic Oath. Doctors used to. They don't make doctors take the Hippocratic Oath anymore. They actually don't give them any moral training anymore. Uh, But I think it's just an option. But even as an option, uh, in the Hippocratic Oath, you know, they used to say you'll never give a woman um, something, uh, a medicine to procure an abortion. And so, well, a poison. And, you know, doctors, they kind of, they skip over this point now. Um, And so it's something that the apostles also encountered, especially being around Rome and other pagan uh, societies. Uh, the Didache, the, so one of the early church documents that we have, said that, there, that abortion is not allowed and no exposure is allowed either. You know, that's just kind of leaving a child out. Um, so the, the Roman uh, tradition was that, you know, uh, a woman would, would bear a child and then the father uh, would, would just decide whether or not to accept that into his family. So she would leave the child on the doorstep or somewhere else. And the man, if he accepted it, would t- pick the child up in his hands and take the child into his house. If not, you know, they would commit infanticide. They would leave the child out to the elements to die. And so early Christians, uh, they acknowledged, you know, infants as human beings, but they also regarded fetuses uh, and unborn children as human beings as well. Uh, many early Christians condemned abortion uh, from conception onwards. Uh, Most abortions at the time were to avoid the scandal of illegitimate children. Uh, And, you know, we see uh, a lot of the the repercussions of that, and that there are these pressures from society uh, on on these women to to do these things. The Synod of Ancyra uh, actually gave a penance uh, for those who had procured an abortion. It said 10 years of no communion for those who make abortion agents and women who abort illegitimate children. You know, that was what the manual said for penance uh, for a woman. 
And we've, we've come a long way with our understanding of the reception of communion uh, after confession, what the sacrament of confession actually does. But, you know, one thing to think about with that, with that rule that, that used to be was just how seriously the church viewed abortion. You know, there is still actually an excommunication tied to abortion, but there are mitigating factors that priests can look for and release the penitent from those. Uh, but if an abortion is done with full knowledge, if it's done with full freedom, uh, then we, we still have to send that person to the bishop to be forgiven of this sin and to release them from the excommunication, to be welcomed back into the church and into the fold. Veritatis Splendor uh, is a, a papal document by John Paul II. It builds on the claims of previous popes that the church can speak with the authority of God on matters of faith and especially morals. When uh, JP II condemns abortion, he does so with the voice of Peter, and it is an infallible, ordinary teaching, as it is from Jesus himself, since that is what the church has always proclaimed. The church's task is to discern what is good and what is evil, and to relay that information to the faithful, so they can walk more safely in the way of the Lord. And now I'll just try to, to make it a little more um, comprehensible what people say. You can break them down into a few different syllogisms, um, so to help you grasp what they're going on. Uh, the first illogical syllogism is, would be something, it would sound something like this is what they would say if you just kind of took the bones of their argument. Uh, killing babies is bad. Abortion is not killing babies. Therefore, abortion is okay. When you understand, as we have said, that conception is the beginning of new life, that medical science knows that this is the case, then no one can argue that abortion is not the murder of babies because it absolutely is. By definition, it is wanting to end that pregnancy and, and kill that life. Abortion is the killing of babies, and as long as the death of the child is directly willed, then it is going to be murder. This is the biggest hang-up for a lot of people. You know, they ignore the science, and they want abortion to be okay just because, you know, the circumstances might be difficult for the mother. The nen, but we must remember, the end never justifies the means. You know, some of the greatest crimes in humanity's history have all been done with the best of intentions. You know, that, that saying, you know, hell is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, but you have to always look back to what it is that you're doing, the heart of it. The greatest saints would rather suffer death than willingly commit one venial sin against our Lord, let, a more, let alone a mortal one that ends an innocent life. The my body, my choice fallacy sometimes uh, comes from this syllogism and follows from it because it does not rec recognize the baby as being its own being. The baby happens to rely on the mother's body for nourishment, but, you know, guess what? Uh, babies are not self-sufficient after they exit the womb. Uh, they're far from it. In a lot of ways, the work of the parents is just beginning after they're born. And the children rely on both parents just as much during their first years out of the womb as they did when they were in utero. Another illogical syllogism might be, I have rights over my body. This baby is my body. Therefore, I can choose what to do with my baby. Sometimes the second line can read uh, that, you know, the baby is my body. 
but once again, look at the science to disprove this type of thinking. The child has its own unique set of DNA. It's different from each parent. It has its own metabolism. It processes things separately and nutrients separately from the mother. It is growing at an exponential rate when you compare it with its mother's growth. It keeps its same identity throughout all its growth and even after birth. If you want to think of life like a chemist, you could say that conception begins a chemical reaction that continues until death. Uh, that, that chemical reaction is life. If it really is my body, my choice, then the baby should decide. But it can't give consent until it's older, so first it has to be born. A third illogical syllogism can be abortion is usually bad, but the circumstances are really difficult for this one mother. Therefore, abor- abortion is good for this one mother. You know, the issue with this syllogism is that it flows from a false premise and it comes to a false conclusion. If abortion is the direct willed murder of an innocent child in the womb, then murder will never be a good thing uh, that we can expect or should give as an option to people either as individuals or as society. The circumstances will make delivering the child even more exemplary and meritorious for the mother to bring the baby to term and birth it. Many difficult things aren't bad at all, but they're opportunities for growth. Abortion is seen as a physical solution sometimes to an emotional problem. You know, they say for the uh, women who are, are victims of rape, you know, not to condone that, but they say like, oh, well, it's such a hard uh, process to go through to give birth to this baby um, that, you know, she didn't even want in the first place. But, you know, a good principle in bioethics to follow is that, you know, you have to have physical solutions for physical problems. You have to have spiritual solutions for spiritual problems. And you have to have psychological solutions for psychological problems. So remember that when I go into uh, future, future topics. Because what is abortion? It's trying to be a physical solution to a mother's, phys- or to a mother's emotional uh, problems. You know, or maybe it's another spiritual problem. But it doesn't match. Uh, and especially, but that's just kind of, once again, uh, that's sort of uh, an outlying reason. The main heart of it is still that by definition, you know, that child is an innocent baby and it deserves to live. Uh, and, you know, with this uh, principle uh, that, you know, you have to have the right solution for the right problem, take alcoholism for another example of this outside of our topic. You know, it's a physical solution, not a very good one. But alcohol is used and abused by so many who try to medicate, to self-medicate for their spiritual and emotional problems. It's the incorrect solution for the type of problem that it is. Uh, And there are some sort of kind of meta-arguments around abortion, so uh, that try to play with with definitions and try to sort of finagle, um, you know, uh, try to make it seem like it's okay. And you have to be very cautious uh, with these um, you know, a good document to always refer back to is JP2's Veritati Splendor, The Splendor of the Truth, and uh, it came out in 1993. And JP2 responds to uh, such, you know, kind of, I, I say this in, in friends, but moral uh, theologians such as Joseph 
Fuchs, uh, SJ, uh, Richard McCormick, and who's also a Jesuit, uh, and they mistakenly thought that everything had to be considered before declaring an act evil. You know, i.e., there's no intrinsic evil. We, we can't say that anything, you know, by it, its object is uh, something that's bad. And, you know, they, they, they really play around with the double effect. You know, the, the double effect, just kind of as an aside, it, it shouldn't exist. You know, it should be only be used as a learning tool to help people in their first stages of studying moral theology to grasp, you know, what it is that's at stake and, and what the issue kind of is. Um, but these priests, you know, Fuchs and McCormick, what they wanted to uh, do is they wanted to apply the double effect to everything, you know, which is impossible. So they would say, uh, so, you know, the double effect that there are negative consequences to, um, to doing something. And that, you know, to do something good, you know, there's always kind of something negative. Uh, you know, to uh, get in my car and get to my, you know, to anoint a, a woman, uh, I have to burn fossil fuel. And in doing that, you know, I contribute, you know, ever so slightly to the problem of pollution. Um, and so they would say, like, well, you know, like the double effect would enter in, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of it's splitting hairs a little bit too much, and it, it shouldn't even be used as a, a guiding principle. You know, so uh, back to abortion, they would say something like, the death of a child isn't willed in a partial birth abortion. The procedure is really adjusting the diameter of the skull of the child, uh, and the baby's death just happens to come about. Those are the kinds of scary statements that can come about if you try to use the double effect for your reasoning and try to use the double effect on every single uh, human act that you do. Uh, and I mean, there is so much wrong with what they said. Uh, you should not be doing any medical procedures unless it's to bring about some good. You know, I don't know of any reason why you would want to adjust the diameter of a child's skull to the point of death unless you directly willed the death of that child. And that's kind of the issue. They can't get away from the intention. The intention isn't solely what we base our actions on. Uh, it's why we have our limits. Um, but uh, it's always an important aspect. It's one of those three, object, intention, circumstances, that goes into any moral act. Veritatis Splendor reminds us that there are intrinsically evil acts. In these cases, the foreseeable evil is part of the circumstances. But remember that the act is centered on the object. You know, that object has a form, and some are intrinsically evil, apart from intentions and circumstances, uh, which means that those, these things are never to be done. They're always to be avoided. Uh, you know, one of the things where an intrinsically evil act, um, you know, think of like adultery, right? You know, having relations with someone that... Uh, or being someone who's married or having relations with someone who's not their spouse. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what your intentions are or the circumstances are. Uh, that's always going to be evil, and you can never do that. So abortion in, in, in the same way is always going to be evil, uh, and it, because it's willing the direct end of the life of a baby in the womb. And if you will see the foreseeable evil of a child to die then you're guilty of killing that child. No human law can legitimize these immoral acts. You know, governments, they cannot enforce them, and we cannot promote them because they're a crime against humanity. Life is a gift from God. Life is a responsibility, and it needs to be protected. 
It takes effort, but it is always worth it. Life is a task to be promoted. You know, we are all called to be pro-life and be witnesses of the gospel to those around us. Would that we all got on the phone and bugged our legislators until they did the right thing. If they had a slog through 2,000 phone calls after each weekend, uh, they'd probably do the right thing just to make the phone calls stop. Uh, and now we'll just go into sort of the ending here with uh, some more general considerations regarding therapy. So, some make a moral equivalency between psychological needs of the mother and abortion, but remember, there can be no equality between the two. Uh, remember that principle, physical solutions for physical problems, spiritual solutions for spiritual problems, emo- or, uh, psychological solutions for psychological problems. Uh, women might consider an abortion because of opportunities for work and career advancement. You know, women have been programmed, at least especially younger women, to think that their babies get in the way of their happiness, that they get in the way of them wanting to do what they want to do. And that is really only work and a career that will make them happy. But this is plainly not true. If you have ever been to Africa, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, you know, dare I say real Africa, uh, you will see joy in people all around you. You know, they don't have much, like they don't have cars or fancy clothes, or even enough money to put them at financial ease, but they have each other. It is relationships that fulfill us as people. Motherhood is the fulfillment of femininity in women, as fatherhood is the fulfillment of masculinity in men. You know, women might want to escape the pressure of, uh, of the father and, and the family um, as well. You know, we should never underestimate the pressure that can be on women from their family. And, you know, they take that, uh, the advice of their family members very seriously. Bad advice can lead to a woman making a mistake that she cannot take back. Uh, the next uh, sort of consideration is eugenics. Uh, you know, if uh, a couple wants to, or, or just a woman wants to abort a child because it's going to have some medical issue, what's the difference between her and, you know, the Nazis saying if you had a physical deformity, de- uh, uh, deformity, deformity, then, you know, your, your life would be forfeit. You know, we had to end it for the good of society because you're going to be a burden and what have you. Uh, it's the exact same thing. You know, we hanged those doctors after the Nuremberg trials. Um, you know, so why is it that we've enabled all of these people uh, to believe these falsities about, um, you know, lives being, life, people with diseases being of less worth than those of us who are healthy? And we see also the eugenics problem kind of in China. You know, they have been aborting almost all their girls under their now-revoked one-child policy. Uh, Sex selection became a big issue with them because with dowries, it was always the the male who would inherit it from the the woman's or the female's family. And so, uh, you know, who wants to to pay more money than that? So they would uh, abort their their female children and keep the male. which is just rather un- unfortunate. And you see that in a lot of countries where there might be one sex that's favored uh, um, more than so than the other. Uh, and you can see different rates of abortions for those. Uh, another issue is that doctors are not given moral training anymore. Uh, so many will direct people to you know, reduce pregnancies or terminate a child they think might have some disorder. You know, don't be fooled by that. If, if uh, you know, you're talking with a younger person 
um, make sure that they know that all those terms mean abortion, that it's the, the killing of a child. Uh, and, you know, once again, under that eugenics, it's the quality of life argument um, that, you know, well, uh, some of these people will say they're, they're better off dead, right? You know, they're, they're going to uh, suffer um, or they're going to be a burden on the family. Um, and what this really is, is putting a value on a person's life. It's, it's trying to decide for them that their life isn't worth living. Uh, and, you, and you see this with a lot of Down syndrome babies who were, um, who, who were unfortunately uh, aborted. Uh, another, and I think uh, perhaps one of the, the more deeper-rooted motives, is to have sex with, without consequences. So, you know, the kind of a combination of contraception, which then leads to abortion, um, you know, it separates the unitive and the procreative aspects of the sexual act. And they're really separating themselves, both the married and unmarried, from union with each other. And they're separating procreation from pleasure. They're making what they do uh, futile. You know, and that's why it has uh, kind of no meaning to them and just something that's um, uh, something ancillary to the pleasure would be, you know, procreation that they can avoid. Um, when, you know, it's always, there should always be meaning, you know, structure and function involved in that act, which we'll get to next month. Uh, other objections that are not mentioned are there's this myth of overpopulation. Uh, it's not a problem. Uh, birth rate is actually going down in our country. Uh, people who think that the earth is overpopulated, they've been reading too much Malthus. Um, I don't know why you know, people think that he's so great for saying that, oh, well, there's limited resources. We have to uh, have less, fewer people. Um, but then you can have a movie like you know, The Avengers and you know, who's the big bad guy, Thanos, and what does he want to do? Just that. He wants to kill, you know, half of all the living creatures in the universe because he thinks overpopulation. So it's kind of this disconnect where we can't really see it in, in our own policies, in our own lives. But we can understand that, you know, this guy on the big screen is evil for what he wants to do. Soviet Russia uh, was actually the first country to legalize abortion. Uh, but Stalin quickly repealed it when he saw what he was doing to his population size, what the rate of population growth dropped dramatically. And, you know, he wanted to still be this big, powerful nation in the world and kind of, you know, swallow up all these nations around him. So he needed people to do that. You know, overpopulation is not even a problem outside the Western world. You know, all these places, uh, you know, the uh, Bill and Linda Gates and their foundation, they pump all this money into supplying contraceptives to Africa but, you know, so many of those countries, uh, it's just kind of a distribution problem. That cities are not overpopulated. It's just bad population distribution where the resources are. Or in many uh, countries in Africa, it's, you know, bad leaders, bad dictators who regulate all of the, um, all the resources uh, for the people. Another objection is tolerance. You know, there are people who say, well, you shouldn't impose your views on others. But my question to that is, what about the truth? You know, I'm, I'm just here, I'm just saying statements, I'm just, uh, you know, trying to support my premise with facts uh, and try to argue a point. Um, then the point is that if it is an innocent life, we have to be faithful to the truth and do what we can to protect the lives of the most vulnerable in our society. I am promoting, pro, I am promoting pro-life because pro-life is true and it's the most loving response. Truth is not an imposition. Truth is a gift. And it helps people live good and holy lives. 
you know, it might be, uh, first when someone hears the truth, it might be kind of painful because then they have to come to terms with, well, I've been living my life incorrectly this whole time. Uh, but the reality is that that's freeing. Now they can do something about it. Now they know that they can change. Another issue is with the mainstream media. Maybe some of you have heard the story. It's a similar situation to what we're going through now. Uh, the emperor's new clothes, where a swindler comes through town and he claims to sell the emperor invisible clothes. The emperor loves the idea so much that he falls for it. And no one wants to go against the emperor because they're all afraid of being beheaded. So the crowds are cheering as their naked emperor is parading horseback through the capital city. And the whole crowd knows the situation, uh, that they could be punished for speaking the truth aloud. Everyone who disagreed was thought either incompetent or an idiot. The only person who dared to say anything was a child who asked the question, you know, why isn't the emperor wearing anything? You know, a large people, number of people with the wrong answer can make it hard to see the reality of the situation. You know, if you just keep, keep getting fed lies in one sort of narrative, then eventually, you know, the thought is that you'll, you'll believe that. It's kind of what, um, you know, conmen do. Even after they get caught and they're in prison, they'll still deny, deny, deny. You know, I, I didn't do that. It wasn't true. Even if, you know, all the, all the proof is there uh, and, you know, the jury decided unanimously to throw them behind bars. Um, it's all part of how you get people to um, try to ignore what's in front of them. But there is sort of a, a light at the end of the tunnel that luckily abortion is losing a lot of support from young people who, who are starting to see it for what it is. But there are legislators who continue to push the boundary or do nothing to push back against the evil that is abortion. You know, in our state, infanticide has been legalized uh, for botched abortions where the child actually survives. Doctors will now deny care to the child and murder it by omission. You know, they'll let it die as it cries in a bucket. But, you know, to end this, we, we cannot use violence, but we must speak up and we must speak out against the abortions that still take place. You know, if you're, uh, if you're in kind of a funny predicament, if you're unsure about your own situation, uh, and if you think it's a difficult case, then I say talk with a priest. Talk with a priest who has the proper background. Um, you know, and not all of us have had the same training. You know, I studied moral theology for an additional year after I was ordained, and it was a blessed time where I really got to read up on these issues. Uh, and so, you know, find a priest that, that you trust, uh, that you know is, is learned in these things and can give you a correct answer with what the church really says. Uh, abortion might seem like the easy answer for many, but that easy answer is not an easy out. Women who have had abortions and men who find out later that a woman got an abortion without talking to him, they have these deep spiritual wounds that can only be healed by God. And many times they're wa walking around and they're just empty. They don't want to feel, they don't want to know the reality of their situation. So a lot of times their emotions will prevent them from hearing the arguments that you're presenting. So you always have to do it with charity and you always have to pray for these people that you're talking to. Uh, Rachel's Vineyard offers retreats for both men and women who are dealing with the aftermath of abortion. They offer an encounter with Christ to accept his love and healing after making mistakes. There are pamphlets around the church with more information or you can look them up online. So here ends the lecture uh, and now I'll just uh, kind of field questions from, uh, from any of you that, that have them. Is 
double effect thing, right? Mm -hmm. Say like uh, refugee camps act of uh, starvation, you know? Mm -hmm. So people say, well, zero population. Well, they want to abort these babies because why would the baby be born? This would have died later on because there's no food to feed that child. Mm -hmm. So would that, would that be like a double effect thing you're talking about? I, yeah, I think that would be, uh, because you're kind of weighing, um, yeah, you're trying to say, well, get the abortion to avoid this other evil of the child dying, uh, you know, later on, right? So, yeah, yeah that's, that's uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a correct application of the double effect, but it's, it's incorrect in its conclusions. So, but that is how they would think, yeah. Give them food, yeah, yeah. And, and you don't know, like, the situation could change. Um, and, uh, you know, like uh, Jurassic Park, life finds a way. So, uh, you know, always be, be, they should always be open to uh, that life. Father, mm -hmm. uh, there was a uh, Super Bowl ad mm -hmm. that I was reading an article about. It was the Toyota ad. It was about that young child from Russia that was adopted at 13 months old, and just before they adopted her, just after they adopted her, the orphanage called the parents and said, well, she's, we found that she has a rare condition, and she's going to have to lose both her legs. Mm. So they adopted her, so they can't wait to have her anyway, despite that deformity, whatever was going to happen, how horrible her life was going to be, how tough it was going to be, no legs, you know, what kind of life easily could have been, you know, a choice that if they learned earlier could have led them to let her die, so. Mm. And it turns out that that girl, even though she had legs cut off below her knees, ended up being a champion, world-class champion swimmer. Beautiful girl, you know, just has that issue, she got the prosthetics. Mm -hmm. But she otherwise is a beautiful person, a great competitor. So the hubris of that whole act that you can take somebody's life and claim it's going to be troublesome or burdensome mm -hmm. or inadequate or not worth anything from that moment that we make that decision is just so evil, right? And how many people have been killed that might have had beautiful lives, that might have made our, our world better? 60 million plus in the United States you know, alone since Roe v. Wade. These politicians aren't, I don't believe, really care at all about the woman. They care about the money coming in from the abortion lobby, Follow the money. When in doubt, follow the money, and that'll lead you to why people do what but they do, usually. Your original statements about the laws of God in our life, it's been so marginalized. And this pandemic is making it worse. People aren't coming to church, you know, mm -hmm. we're sidelined. It's hard. We've got to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Father, a little knowledge is a dangerous weapon, and that's about what I have here. But uh, are you familiar with the seamless garment theory? Uh, no, I'm not. <clears throat> Again, a little knowledge is a dangerous mm -hmm. but I saw a person present it worse. Michael Woods. And uh, <clears throat> he mentioned some Jesuits from way back, and uh, just to get right to the issue. Mm -hmm. He said it's where people can say, yeah, abortion's terrible. But you know what? So is it poverty. So is it uh, immigration? So aren't refugees? So aren't you know drug? You know, and that becomes the seamless garment. So if you're doing 
not giving the correct weight to, to the real, you know, the, the weight of the levity of the evil that the abortion right. is. Yes, these things aren't great, but there's no comparison. Correct. We need no. it where it becomes less of an evil. Oh yeah, like no, cigarette no, cigarette smoking has become like the new well, it, it was for a while like the new big sin, right? You know, there were no other sins except for smoking cigarettes for quite a while when they changed that rule in restaurants. Um, you know, and you see it now with like uh, uh, all these, the government and uh, car manufacturers are all pushing towards electric. Because like, oh, well, you know, it's, um, you know, climate change, you know, uh, blah, 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 global warming. Um, and, and that's kind of the new sin is, you know, burning, uh, burning gas fuel. Um, so it's just kind of... Uh, when people lose God, I mean, it's that vacuum. You know, people want to have a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And when everything is permissible, um, then they're going to fu- they're going to latch on to the wrong thing uh, to to see something that's wrong with it. That's why I mentioned the eugenics thing in here, because of the rates of Down syndrome babies that are, are lost. How do you say that? Women, did they lie to saying all the babies have Down syndrome? They probably didn't have Down syndrome. That's a high percentage. Yeah, yeah, and that's the issue with, uh, with doctors and also with, um, there's this number that countries love to throw out. It's called the infant mortality rate. And it tells you, oh, well, you know, your prenatal care is so good. Um, that, you know, this number of, of babies will survive, right? You know, if your number is really low, then it, the, you know, the World Health Organization will say, you're doing a great job, you know, Cuba, right? But the reality is in Cuba, uh, most of their children are aborted, you know? So it's only the ones that they really want and the well-off families that want to support a child uh, who can afford the care and whatnot and have the right, are in the right system of health care. Uh, that will will bring that child to, to term. And otherwise, the government might, might actually force them to get an abortion if they have any inkling at all that the child is going to be unhealthy because they want that number to be really low and they want to look good compared to the rest of the world. Father, when you had mentioned before uh, whatever you were saying, it's a 10-year absence of being able to present yourself for the Eucharist. Right, yeah. I'm confused as a lay person because it would seem that some of these politicians that present themselves as Catholic actually, I think, exploit presenting themselves as Catholic. That's my opinion. Their position is completely contrary to the teachings of the Catholic Church. So how do we have bishops? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm very confused. Is it the Pope? Or are the bishops, i.e., like Will Gregory, coming out before Joe Biden even, was even inaugurated, saying they're going to offer him the Eucharist? I mean, look at his track record. He has like a 100% voting record on abortion. I mean, how, as a layperson, how are we supposed to wrap our heads around No, there will be a final judgment, and they will have to answer before God for everything that they do. Sounds like a bishop, too. Yeah. And, um, you know, especially with, and people can, you know, if the Pope were to get in, in all his, his, his regalia, if he were to put the tiara back on, right, and sit in his, in his cathedra and declare 
um, you know, something infallibly, right, uh, in, in quotation marks. But let's say it's gone against everything. Let's say he tries to declare, like, that Jesus never resurrected. Well, all the externals look like they line up, right? But he can't declare that because, I mean, it contradicts the Bible. It contradicts, you know, 2,000 years of church teaching on the subject of this truth that we hold um, as one of the, the highest truths in our faith. Um, and, and so there is sort of a limit on that. And you have to realize that, you know, some bishops might be mistaken. And you have to be able to understand what it is that the church has always said on this issue. And then see if they're deviating at all from it. Um, and and it, be, it becomes very uh, difficult for the lady, which I think you're correct. Because then they have to, the burden's kind of on them. They can't just trust their clergy anymore. You know, not, not alone all the scandals that have taken place, but with also the church teaching and being guardians of that. Uh, and it puts the burden on the lay people to do this research, to actually see what the church has said and maintained and, and where, where truth actually lies. So, um, and you know, my answer to all of it is just to pray. You know, pray and, and, and do your research. You know, look up, uh, open, open the catechism here and there um, and, and make sure that you're kind of uh, you're going back and you're seeing um, what it is that the, that, uh, the church actually says. Do, do I have it wrong? Or if I do, correct me, please. But I thought if you were, if it was known that you were engaged in moral sin, great moral sin, if you're in a public to, matter, correct, you'd have to do some sort of public. Clearly you are. Yeah, yeah, you would have to do public reparation for that sin. So you would have to come out, and if he went to confession, he would have to denounce. Everything he said about abortion, say, like, I was wrong, um, you know, and kind of humble himself in that. But, you know, until a politician does that, um, you know, their, their pro-abortion uh, views are still public, and they haven't done anything to amend that. So then you would still um, assume that they are, you know, uh, split off from the teaching of the church in those instances. too you're right you know we don't have uh, people don't see the um the, the merit in certain church documents like you know you could say oh well john saint john paul ii you know told us about this in very tati splendor you know chapter number 35 you know look it up um and but they won't they won't say well what does that mean and you know it's uh, that's what makes difficult relativism thinking that there is no grounding when there absolutely is and there's a hierarchy to uh to everything you know Yeah, correct, correct. Which is why it's always important to kind of go back and, and check yourself, you know. Um, no matter who you are, no matter how good you think you have it, go back and read things again um, and, and really uh, ma make sure that you're staying on the right path. And, and the church will correct you. You know, what the church has always said, if you're starting to deviate, 
um, you know, you can always fall back on, uh, on, on what the church has said uh, traditionally. I have a little bit of a big one. This is a vaccine. Vaccines come up. started from a couple of aborted babies. Well, it didn't. There's one of them that was. It's a direct uh, stem cell line from uh, an aborted fetus. So you're putting those cells and injecting that DNA. Well, the RNA, which then becomes DNA as your cells transcribe it, right? So, um, I mean, that'd be like a you know direct direct issue. But the church has also said, and the um, one of the letters that came out, I, I forget who who sent it. I think it might have been our bishop sent it to us. Um, but it was this uh, priest who was supposedly a, a theologian, and he said in one paragraph that, um, you know, it's impermissible to use, you know, vaccines or technology that's been developed with aborted fetuses, even though it's, they use the stem cell lines of aborted fetuses for testing, right? So it, it doesn't come directly into contact with you, but it was still used to kind of, um, uh, you know, jumpstart this, you know, 10-month experimental vaccine that we have now. And so... Uh, you know, you have that, and uh, then in the next paragraph, it, it says, like, well, it's okay to take this one because it's, you know, the risks are so bad. Um, but, I mean, if you go to the CC, CDC statistics, it's like, it's really, it's really not that bad, you know? Um, and, I mean, everyone's factors can change it, but, you know, the issue that we're talking about with the vaccine is remote, passive cooperation with evil. You know, if you know that there's any connection to the aborted fetuses, you have to just say, like, no, I'm not, I'm not getting that. Or if it's the vaccine that will absolutely save your life, it's permissible to, but you, you, you have to speak out against it. You have to say you need to find some other way of developing this. You have to change the cell line or end those cell lines from the uh, embryonic stem cells, whether it's the kidney cells or, or liver, whatever they use.